Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Before you sit down, why don't you turn to someone and say, you're in the right place at the right time right now. All right, you can be seated this morning. We're glad you're here and had a wonderful time at our 9 o'clock service and looking forward to the 11 o'clock. You guys got to sleep in a little bit, so you're a little bit more rested. And uh, we just enjoyed ourselves this morning, and I pray that God would minister to you. We are on this sermon series. Actually, this would be the last message on what we're calling the altered life. And what we're talking about is how you can alter things. You can alter a building. You can alter a kitchen. Uh, You can alter your clothing when you take it down to a tailor. They alter it to fit you better. And so we're talking how God can alter our life, make some changes uh, so that our lives would be better. There are some things in our lives that God needs to alter. There are some areas in our lives that need changes. How many would admit that? And only God can change. And so that's what we're talking about, the altered life. And so let me just share this with you today. We do live in a time, though, where inventions and safety and precaution, all of these inventions are constantly being tested and tried in order to determine whether they meet the requirement to be able to put them out in public. Most of you have seen where they get a vehicle and they crash it in the wall and they put dummies in that in that car to see how a person's body would react and how what effect it would have and what they're doing is they're doing all these safety precautions to make sure that this vehicle could withstand the crash now we've all probably heard of shatterproof glass maybe most of you have waterproof watches or waterproof phone uh could be uh soundproof rooms punctured proof tires But I believe the greatest need as believers, the greatest need in the church, is fireproof faith. Can your faith withstand the fire? Will it make it on to the other side? And really, when we talk about fireproof faith, what we're talking about is steadfast and faithful faith in the midst of trials, in the midst of battles, in the midst of problems. So I want to talk about the altered life and how you face your trials in life, how you face your battles in life. And I'm going to read the scripture out of 1 Peter. It's not my text, but I am going to use 1 Peter and also the book of James to kind of give us an idea. Both of these authors, Peter and James, kind of opened up about what trials are and the trial of your faith. And so here in verse number 6 of 1 Peter chapter 1, This is what it says. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, just a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These come so that that the proven genuineness of your faith, in other words, your faith is going to be proven, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So I pray today that the Lord would help us. Let's just pray for a moment. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true, that your word is powerful, that it applies to every part of our lives today. And God, that you would remove every distraction, even biases that we may have. And God, help us to hear your word. Open our hearts today to receive it because your word is relevant even in 2024. So I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and that the people would hear the voice behind the voice in Jesus' name. And everyone said, so here's the question for you, and I don't want you to answer it verbally, but just in your mind. Why do some people walk away from their Christian faith? You've ever thought about that? Why do some people walk away from their Christian faith? And I would say to you that some Christians walk away from their Christian faith, their delusion or disillusion, their discourage. But it may be several reasons why they walk away. I have found that the primary reason why many Christians walk away is because they cannot withstand the trials that come, the storms of life, as we would call it, or going through the fire. Most Christians know what that is. I'm, I'm going through the fire. That means that my life is facing some storms, and I'm going to believe God that I can withstand it, endure these trials, and we all know that trials are painful. How many know fire is painful? Put your hand in the fire, it's painful, it hurts. And we've all experienced some pain. We've all experienced a degree of suffering and disappointment and heartache, uh, a loss of a loved one, a dream that was shattered, a rejection, a betrayal, things just not working the way you had hoped they were going to work. Uh, you're going through this trial, this problem, and we wonder, and we, read, we really do, we wonder, what is God up to? Why is God allowing this to happen in my life? And I can tell you, there are probably a thousand different reasons why, but I do believe one of them is, it isn't that God is causing your problem, but God will cause some of these problems to develop your faith so that you can have some fireproof faith. So that your faith can withstand the trial, right? In fact, even this scripture here that we just read, it said that these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. Now think about this. God can spare you from these trials. God can spare you from this fire. And there are times that God does. But there are other times that we have to go through it because it is through these trials and through these battles that our faith is developed. And you've heard me say this before, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. And so have you gone through the fire? Have you matured? We don't just go through it, we grow through it. And the book of James kind of gives us some great Understand. In fact, it's the manual how to handle some of the trials that happen in our life. It's a great manual for a Christian on how we're supposed to act and what we're supposed to do. And he writes this letter in the book of James in the opening chapter of chapter 1. And James kind of skips over all the preliminaries, all the formalities. Uh, he really doesn't have a lot of opening remarks. 
he cuts right to the chase. He goes, he just drops the bomb on them. And look at, look at the opening remarks here in James chapter 1, verse 2. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't like that statement. Anybody like that one? Consider it pure. How do you consider it pure joy? He says, whenever you're facing trials, what, of many kinds. In other words, all kinds of trials are going to happen to you. And he said, you're supposed to rejoice. You're supposed to be happy. How in the world can that even happen? How can we be rejoicing? How can we be happy when we are facing these trials? In, fa- in fact, I'll read the rest of the scripture in verse 2 and 3. It said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know, say you know. That's key. Saying you know this already, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Or another word is endurance. Or it develops stamina. Or it develops maturity. I don't know, we need to grow up. And so if you want to grow in Christ, you want to mature in Christ, you want to persevere in Christ, you're going to go through testing and your faith is going to be developed. So your attitude and faith is determined by your understanding. I can't tell you how many new believers that I talked to said, man, my life was great before I became a Christian. Now I'm going through the fire. Now I'm going through temptation. Now I'm going through all because you're maturing, because you're developing. Because before you met Christ, uh, you had no order to your life. You had no discipline. You just did whatever you wanted to do. You did whatever the flesh told you to do. And now it's saying, you know what? You need to withstand some of this stuff because I'm developing you. And I'm making you closer and looking more like Jesus. How many want to be like Jesus? I I want Christ in my life. So write this down. These are four things you need to know about life. If you're going to face life, you need to write down these things. You need to know these things. Problems, number one, are unavoidable or inevitable. In other words, if you don't have any problems, check your post. You may not be alive right now. I don't know anyone that's alive or anyone in this building that's not facing some kind of problems. Could be a family problem. It could be a workplace problem. could be a relational problem. It could be some emotional problems. could be some financial problems. How about car problems? Anybody hate car trials? I hate car problems, man. Years ago, uh, you know, when I first was pastoring, I mean, I really couldn't afford a new car. And I used to just buy used cars all the time. And it was a, it was a trial. Sometimes I would call on Wednesday nights. It's not going to make it. I'm here on Slauson. We're broken down. And took my, I had my kids in the stroller. We're walking home, trying to have to get a tow truck, you know, and lots of times. Finally, the church told me, get a new car. We'll help you. Just get a new car. And so it was car trials. You know how that is. But the scripture says here, uh, count it all joy, basically, when you fall or when you face trials. It doesn't say if. It says whenever, right? Whenever. So again, it's whenever you're facing it, it's going to happen. In fact, 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friend, do not be surprised, don't be shocked, at the fiery ordeal 
that has come to you to test you as though something strange, like, man, you're surprised what's happening to you. In other words, realize you can count on it. It's going to happen. So trials and problems and issues is not an elective. It's a required course. For those of you that have gone to school, you know, you can have electives. You kind of choose, but then there's requirements you got to do. While trials is a requirement for every believer here. So write it down. Life is difficult. So number two, here's the other one. Problems are unpredictable. Wouldn't you like to have like an update like every day and you got like on the computer said, these are the problems you're going to be facing today. Wouldn't it be awesome? He's had a meeting, you know, all the angels and God would just show up on your computer. Hey, today you're going to be facing that. It'd be great if I had like a, like a heads up. How many like the heads up? Give me a heads up, man. Well, there's no heads up when it comes to trials. In fact, verse 2 says, whenever you face problems, literally, they're going to fall on you in the Greek unexpectedly. You're not going to be expecting them. They're not planned. They're not something you anticipate. You cannot plan them, but I can tell you that if you avoid them, you're going to avoid a place where it could benefit you. We don't like to hear this, but they're unplanned, they're unpredictable, and sometimes they show up when you least expect them. Some of them can be an inconvenience in your life. Other times, they're major crisis. A phone call. Of, change, of something happening can change your life in just a moment. It's just unexpected. You just get a phone call. Unexpected, you get notice of something. It could really change everything. It's more than an inconvenience. It's a major crisis. This one guy, this story I read, he said, today my friend had to take my cat who had a tumor, uh, who had the tumor to be put down when I wasn't home. Since I couldn't bear to take him myself, I had my friend take the cat in for me. I have two cats. He took the wrong one. Yeah, that would ruin your life, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's unexpected. Look at this story. Today I took the bus to work. A sweet old lady got on after me and sat next to me. Halfway there, she fell asleep. Her head was on my shoulder. I gently tried to wake her up before, I, before my stop. I realized she wasn't sleeping. I had a dead woman lean on me for 30 minutes on the way to work. That, that's unexpectedly, right? Whole time, this sweet old lady's asleep. Now she's dead. Number, number three, write this down. Problems of many kinds. They come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. One size doesn't fit all. It comes in all kinds of shapes and all kinds of sizes. One thing about problems, you'll never get bored. They're always going to come. They're going to come in big sizes and small sizes. They're going to come in wide variety. Have you ever tried to match paint? It's different shades, different things like that. That's how problems are. They come in different shades. They come in multicolors. And some, some are very intense some have a lot of variety. Other ones, we don't know how long they're going to last. And again, there's more than 31 flavors when it comes to problems. And doesn't it seem like some of these problems are just custom made for us? Like, man, I can't believe it. Just the perfect storm. Everything happening at one time. One guy wrote this. Into every life, some rain must fall. But this is ridiculous. 
I felt like that the last few weeks we're in L.A. I go, this is it's raining too much. You know, I need you. I love rain. I don't like the rain. I don't like. I don't like it when it rains on Sunday. I want people to come to church on Sunday. I don't. I don't like it when it rains on Sunday. I don't like it when it rains a whole lot. I'll just be honest with you. Number four, problems. Here's the one that's going to really hurt you. Problems are purposeful. Problems have a purpose. And I'm not saying that God sends them. I said God can use them, though. They have a purpose. Pain can, pain can be productive. Pressure can produce something. Suffering can accomplish something. Now, you may be asking, what's the value of problems? What value? What can we gain? So write this down, what we can gain. A problem will purify your faith. He uses the word testing. It's like the testing of gold where you would heat it up, even silver, and it would get very hot until the impurities would fall off. In fact, First Peter, again, I'll read it again, verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now it is for a little while you had suffered from various trials in order <clears throat> that your genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes. So when gold is heated up, to an intense heat, the impurities and defects are removed. Let me take a drink of tea here. All right. Sorry, guys. Been dealing with a cough. Have you been praying for me? I needed this dumb cough every time. But a woman called up a goldsmith and made an appointment to watch him at work. And she didn't mention anything about the reason of her interest. And um, she began to watch him refine this gold. And as she was watching this goldsmith, <coughs> sorry guys, he explained that refining gold was needed. You needed to hold the gold in the middle of the fire. And so as this woman thought about God holding us, in a hot spot that he sits at the refiner purifying us as gold. She asked the goldsmith, is it true that you have to sit in front of this fire the whole time? And the man said, yes. He not only had to sit there the whole time, but he had to keep his eyes on the gold the entire time. If the gold was left even a moment too long, it would be destroyed. The woman was silent And she asked the goldsmith, how do you know when the gold is fully refined? And he smiled back, that's really easy when I see my image in it. God wants to see his reflection in you. Come on, he wants to see his image. That's the goal. So has your faith developed where God can see his image in you? Number two, Problems fortify our patience. When we're talking about patience, we're not talking about a passive patience. We're talking about a patience that is persevering or staying power. In other words, the kind of patience that he's talking about, the testing of your faith develops patience or develops perseverance, is the ability to keep on going despite the pressure, despite the trial, despite the fire, you're not quitting. 
You have, you don't, you have this don't give up-itis. You got that? I don't give up. I keep fighting. That's, that's what this does to you. See, we run into a lot of people that give up too easy. And what happens? They run to the bottle. They run to alcohol. They run to drugs. They run to Disneyland. No, they run over here. I don't know, wherever they go to. Because they want to get away from the pressure. But God uses problems in our life to teach us how to handle the pressure and to never give up. And so this is where we have to pray. We have to believe God. Our problem is we pray, and when God gives us the answer, we don't like it. So I prayed God give me patience. You know what God did? Problems got worse so I could learn how to have patience, right? God will teach you patience in traffic jams, right? See, we're, we're, we're an intense society. We want everything fast. And God says, I want to teach you something in your life. So you got to have to learn how to have patience. I've gone to Costco, and I always get in the wrong gas line. You ever done that? It's like, man, I, was, I should have been at that pump. And then I get mad because I'm looking at that car while I'm sitting there. Go, look it. He's moving up already. I could have been there already. I could have been in a car wash by now. Why did I get in this dumb line, right? The guy doesn't know how to use his card, and, you know, he's walking like, oh, come on. you got to be kidding. Anyway, I think God's trying to work on patience. Am I right? Number three, problems sanctify my character. Problems sanctify my character. And it makes me more like Jesus. Look at verse three and four. The testing of your faith produces perseverance so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. All right, give these gentlemen a hand right here. So the long-range goal is the ultimate purpose is maturity. And this is what happened. There's an alteration that's taking place. There's the molding and shaping of our character. So as you can see, they brought an ironing board and they brought an iron here with them. It's not going to be plugged because I don't want to burn myself. That would be really bad. So let's pretend this iron is plugged. Can we do that? It's connected to the power. I'm waiting for it to heat up. I'm, I'm going to steam my clothes right now. I've been ironing, I think, since I was 10 years old, maybe younger. I grew up in a family of seven boys, so my mom early on said, you guys all going to iron your own clothes. I can wash them, but you're going to iron them. And so we had to learn how to iron. In fact, after I got married to my wife, I, I'll iron. I, I've been ironing since I was 10. Of course, my wife has shown me how to iron correctly. How many know some guys? You got to just be humble. They Sometimes they have better methods in how to do it. So let's just get one of these shirts here. And I got this shirt that's not iron. One of these wrinkled shirts. And what you do is you put it on here. Okay, I'm not going to put it on here correctly. I know you have to open it up. I know all of that, okay? You ladies out there, you're not doing it right. I understand. It's simply an illustration. So let's just say I have it all laid out right, and, I, and I'm going to about to iron this. And so this thing is hot, right? It's got steam, and I'm putting the pressure on it, and I'm ironing it, right? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get the wrinkles out. I have to apply heat, I have to apply pressure in order to get the wrinkles out. 
I have to continually do that. This thing, this iron is hot. There's steam coming out. If you can just imagine as I'm trying to get every single wrinkle out and I'm ironing and I'm pressing. Of course, I wouldn't leave it there for a long time, but you could see how I'm doing all of this. And ultimately, by the time I go through this and iron it correctly, then I ultimately have an iron shirt, right? You guys can clap. It's all right. Yeah. And so the same way that I had to add the pressure and I had to add heat in order for those wrinkles to get out and to make that shirt look nice. How many know when after you press the shirt and you've ironed it, man, it smells good. You can put it on. You look good, like I'm I looking good right now. See, I look good right now, all of that. You feel better about it because it fits better. All the wrinkles are gone. Can I tell you, God ironed out. He alters. He applies heat. He allows the heat and the pressure from trial to take the wrinkles out inside of you, not outside of you. You can take that ironing board down again. And so God wants to do that. Come on, give these guys the big hand. So I want you to realize the next time you iron, next time you get your ironing, I want you to think about how God's taking out the wrinkles through trials, and there's a purpose there. Maybe your ironing experience will be different than it's ever been. And you're going, man, get these wrinkles out. Get the, press it down a little bit. Because think about Jesus. He went through loneliness. He went through times of abandonment. He went through fatigue. He was tired. And how much more, if we want to be like Jesus, are we going to go through that? So I want to just remind you that there are two ways that God wants to make us more like Jesus. Number one, through the word of God. In other words, Jesus said in John 17, 7, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. James 1, said the word makes us like Jesus. If you read that scripture. Excuse me, it builds our character. It doesn't matter how long you read the Bible, but as you obey the Bible, the Word of God begins to change you. And number two, like I've been talking about, circumstances are used to make us more like Jesus. I said circumstances. God uses all the things around you, all the things that are happening to you, to cause you to be more like Jesus. So I'm going to read a scripture to you that all of us have read before, but I want to remind you again, we're on a character course. God is altering your life to be more like Christ. Look at what it says, eight, Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for what? Good. Not all things are good, but they work together for good. In other words, God will use the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? And he called them to work together for good. It said, if we love God and we're called according to his purpose. In other words, those that love God, those that are serving God, God causes everything to work for good. Again, not that everything is good. He uses the good, the bad, the ugly to work for the good. And it says, and the secret to that is the next verse. It says, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestine to become conformed to the image of the Son of God. So why did he work this together for good? In order to make us more like Jesus. 
And how do you know you're becoming more like Jesus? How do you know that things are working in your life? Because it's called the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, Galatians chapter 5, you can write this down, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Are you, are you loving people more? Joy. Do you have a little bit of joy? Peace. Patience. That's me. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Some of you really need to hear this. Somebody in this room needs to hear self-control. Because you are out of control. You need some God control in your life. And so if you're really allowing the Holy Spirit to shape and mold you, you learn how to self-control. And so how does God teach us all of this? Usually it's putting us in the opposite situation. How many have ever said, God teach me how to love, and God puts you in a situation where there's a lot of unlovable people around you? You notice I pointed to all of you guys. All of us can be unlovable at times. And so if we're saying, God, I, I, I want to love more people, guess what? He's going to put you around people that are hard to love. Keep praying that prayer. That's what he's going to do. Well, you know, I want some joy. Guess what? He's going to put you in places of sadness and tragedy so that you can get joy out of tragedy. Peace. I want peace. God's going to put you in the middle of chaos. Right? So all of us, we want patience. He's going to put you in a line at Costco in the gas station, and you're waiting like, what happened? Why, why am I here? Okay, so here's the last part right here. How, do, how to handle. So now we know what we, we it's teaching us what we need to know, but how do we handle these problems? How do we handle difficulty? So this is what I've learned. We can prosper from our problems. You can profit from your problems. You can benefit from your difficulties. A lot of us don't want to hear this, but believe it or not, not uh, believe it or not, your problems are not always issues to bring you down. They could be opportunities. They could turn around to be your greatest blessing. Again, let me go back to what it says. It says, number one, how do you handle the problem? By rejoicing. How do we do that? To consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. That James chapter 2, verse 1. He's not saying to fake it. He's not saying to put on a plastic smile. He's not saying to deny it. But what he's saying is, even in the midst of battles, you can still have joy. It doesn't mean that, you know, uh, well, you say, well, uh, that means we enjoy suffering. Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that we thrive on pain. That's what they call what? Masochism, right? Where beat me some more, hit me more with a whip. That's not what we're talking about, all right? We don't rejoice for the problem. We rejoice in the problem. We don't thank God for the problem. We thank God in the problem. I don't thank God for the situation. I thank God while I'm in the situation. This is the most misunderstood verse here, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you 
in Christ Jesus. When it says in everything, it does not say for everything. We don't thank God for cancer. We don't thank God for tragedy. We don't thank God for someone dying. We don't thank God for that. But we thank God in everything. In other words, when things are bad, when things aren't turning out the way we want them to turn out, we can still thank God in it because he's faithful. God's still good. God's got our back. God's got our number. God's got your number. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. He's got your number, man. He's taking care of you. So what makes the difference? I think it's your attitude. It's a considerate. What that word considerate, pure joy, means to evaluate. Make up your mind once and for all. In other words, I'm considering. Consideration actually is a choice. Although I can't control the circumstances, I can control how I respond to the circumstances. I don't have control over it, but I can control how I respond to it. Because a lot of us, it's how we respond. We've heard this statement, it's not what happens to you, it's what happens in you. Chuck Swindoll said it this way, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. There's a guy by the name of Victor Frank. He was a Jewish psychologist who spent time in, in a Nazi concentration camp, including Auschwitz in Germany. And he said this statement, they stripped me naked... They took everything, my wedding ring, my watch. I stood there naked, all of a sudden realized at that moment that although they could take everything away from me, my wife, my family, my possession, they could not take away my freedom to choose how I was going to respond. He said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms is to choose one attitude in any given set of circumstances. So you have to choose to rejoice in whatever situation you're in. David said it this way in Psalm 34.1, I will bless the Lord all the time. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. This is why we can come to church when we're going through the battle, when we're going through the trial, when we're hurting. I'm going to lift my hands today. I'm not listening to my emotion. I'm not listening to my situation. I'm going to bless the Lord all time. Problems don't automatically produce blessings. Sometimes problems can destroy people. This is why you have to choose whether you're going to be bitter or you're going to be better. Am I going to allow the situation to make me bitter? Or am I going to allow the situation to make me better? I have to choose. I have to make a choice. So I'm going to read you this story. I just read it last night. Never read this story before. Hold on a second. And it's a traumatic story, so let me prepare you for this story. It's very traumatic. In fact, um, I'm a crybaby, so, so hopefully I won't cry through the story. Because I want you to hear it. Uh, this morning I got through it though. Hallelujah. And uh, this is a story about a 12-year-old girl named Leanna. She said a 12-year-old girl named Leanna lay on the side of the road. And she was barely clinging to life. Two men had brutally raped this poor girl and left her for dead. So I read more of the story. Two men had kidnapped her from a mall took her, raped her, and left her for dead. Her face was, uh, and neck were mutilated in the attack, the scars which would remain for a lifetime. 
She thought for sure her life was over, that she never again would feel happiness or peace or any semblance of normality. But then Leanna learned that she was pregnant as a result of the attack. Her doctor saw that this is just another scar from the incident, but one that he suggested could easily be resolved with a simple procedure, an abortion. The doctor encouraged Leanna to have the procedure, telling her it was the right thing to do so she wouldn't be haunted by a constant reminder of the attack. Even as traumatized as this 12-year-old who had experienced some of the worst in the world had to offer, Leanna understood just how precious life is. She knew that ending this baby's life would not heal her scars or erase the horrific events that she had endured. So this young girl asked the doctor one important question. Would an abortion ease her pain and help her forget about the rape? And the doctor said no. Leanna knew that she would keep the baby. And so instead, she heartily rejected abortion despite the doctor's suggestion. And she wrote, if abortion wasn't going to heal anything, I didn't see the point. She said, I knew that I had somebody inside my body. I never thought about who her biological father was. She was my kid. She was inside of me. Just knowing that she needed me and I needed her, it made me want to work to get a job to support her. After this uh, violent attack that left Leanna so close to death, Leanna battled post-traumatic stress disorder. The memories of the day were so bad that her mind could not help but drift to the thoughts of suicide from time to time. But what kept her from acting upon those suicide, suicidal impulses was the knowledge that she wouldn't be killing just herself, but she would also be taking the life of the daughter that was growing inside of her. She knew just what, the woman, what this woman needed in order to be saved. God knew, I should say, just what this woman needed in order to be saved. In my situation, two lives were saved. I saved my daughter's life, but she saved mine. Leanna's reaction of wanting to keep her baby is not uncommon among rape victims. Research shows that women who have abortions after being impregnated through rape tend to experience feelings of guilt, depression, Lord, self-esteem, resentment toward the men. Instead of abortion easing the psychological burden, it adds to them. 94% of women who decide to keep their baby uh, conceived through rape said abortion would not be a good solution to a pregnancy resulting from rape. While 93% who did have abortion said the abortion had not been a good solution to their problem. And they would not recommend others in their situation to do the same. In fact, many, many women who decide to keep the child after being raped say the baby was the only good thing to come out of the experience. Leanna would agree. Her daughter gave her life a new meaning. She soon found each precious smile from her baby girl, replacing the pain with something much stronger, love. And after her daughter seemed to somehow be aware of her purpose as well, when Leanna's daughter was just four years old, she turned to her mom and said, Mommy, thanks for giving me life. This tiny gift from God provided Leanna 
with all the healing that she needed. When she said that I realized that she was the only one or she was the one who gave my life back. Leanna's daughter is now 23. And the two have an incredible bond. One that was worth all the pain and suffering as far as Leanna's concerned. She said, even though the rape was very hard, was a very hard moment, if I had to go through it again just to know and to love my daughter, I would go through it again. Wow. Her daughter was not the only positive thing to come out of this ordeal, but Leanna now travels the world as a pro-life speaker. She started her own organization. It's called Loving Life whose mission is to promote the value of life as well as help other victims of violence and abuse. And here's a picture of Liana. You can see her right there. Isn't she a beautiful girl? See, even though she went through what she went through, even though she went through the pain and the turmoil, she made that statement, if I had to do it all over again, I would, in order to have my daughter. That's pain with a purpose. That knowing, that pain isn't wasted. Can you say amen? That knowing that no matter what's happening in your life, that's getting a God point of view. That's not asking why God did happen to me. That's saying, what God can I learn from it? What God can I do with what the experience I went through? And today, this young lady is touching lives all over the world, literally all over the world, have been impacted by her testimony. We have um, videos on our YouTube channel, Reach Church Paramount. It's called uh, My, My Story. And there are various testimonies of people in this church that have gone through some traumatic experiences breaks my heart to think of all the people in here and then when I listen to those testimonies I'm weeping man I'm weeping because of the hurt and the pain they went through but I'm also weeping because of the joy to see the change that God has done in their life God healed them they're not bitter they're better they came out on the other side God wants to help you through your pain. He wants to help you through your trial today. So I'm going to pray for you. Why don't you bow your head? Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.